It's Halloween season here at Centerpoint Church, and we have a great series called Saints and Serpents. In this series, we will take a look at various stories in the Bible involving snakes. I hate snakes, but let's see how God uses it. Let's get started. Saints and Serpents, week three. For those of you that are note takers and you're like, I gotta have a sermon title. What's the sermon title? I have this for you. It is called Of Snakes and Crosses. And what we're doing in this series is we're looking at different stories in the Bible that involve snakes. Now, I'm not okay with any of this, just so you know. Uh, I, I, there's parts of the Bible that I wish weren't in there, uh, but they are. And here's one. I'm going to jump right into the middle of it, of, of a portion of Scripture that gives me nightmares. We're in Numbers 21. So Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, the fourth book of the Bible, the fourth book of the Torah, the law, the Pentateuch, Numbers 21, 6 through 7. Listen to this. This is going to freak you out. Then the Lord sent venomous snakes. Who sent them? One translation actually says fiery snakes. I don't even know what that means. The Lord sent venomous snakes among them. They bit the people, and many Israelites died. The people came to Moses and said, We have sinned and spoke against the Lord and against you. Pray that the Lord will take the snakes away from us. And Moses prayed for the people. They complained, and God sent snakes to bite them. Remind your kids that next time you're on a road trip. And I'm going to remind you that next time you complain. The Lord sent the snakes. Now, it's my favorite time. It's map time. I'm going to have like a song I'm going to make up that's like, da 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 map time. Something like that. These are the things in the back of your Bible that you never ever look at. Um, but I want you to see this. So, why did that happen? Who were these people that were bit by the snakes? And what on earth does it have to do with us? So I want to show you, this is a map of where the Israelites went. So the Israelites were enslaved by the Egyptians. Uh, they get free from that. And now they're on a 40-year journey to the promised land. Where, how, how many years? 40. So when you see the number 40 in Scripture, it almost always talks about a period of trial or testing. And that's what's happening in this journey. And they're trying to get to the promised land, a 40-year journey. They're approximately 38 years into this journey. And I have figured out, Charlie, why they're complaining. Because they've been living in a tent for 38 years. Two years ago, I went to the men's retreat here. Don't know why you're laughing. I tried to sign up for the women's retreat. They told me I had to go to the men's retreat. It's 2023. You don't know what I mean by that. I had to stay in a tent for two days. Two whole days! They were in a tent for 38 years. Some of the people that are 35 or under, this is all they've ever known. They just live in a tent. And then you pack up and you move. That sounds miserable. I probably complain too. But they complain. Remember, they don't know that they're only two years away from the promised land. And they are complaining. Now that we understand what happened, and now we understand where this happened. It's right over here. You can see this pole with the snake around it. Now let's jump into the story a little bit further back and find out what led to them being bit by a venomous snake. Back to Numbers chapter 21, verse 4. 
Then they journeyed from Mount Or by the way of the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. That's what happened on that map back there. Listen to this phrase. And the soul of the people became discouraged along the way. That, that's a very interesting phrase because oftentimes I think following the Lord can discourage your soul at times. And that wasn't the sin. Being discouraged along the way wasn't why God sent the snakes. Sometimes standing up for the right things, sometimes following the Lord, sometimes standing for faith in a culture of compromise, it wears on you. And sometimes your soul can become discouraged, even when you're following the Lord. But that wasn't what was wrong. Here's what was wrong. Verse 5, And the people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water, and our soul loathes this worthless bread. I want you to to really look at those last two words, worthless bread. That's out of KJV. Some of your, your Bibles, translations call it miserable food or horrible manna. I want to talk for a moment about worthless bread because this is going to show you the tendency of the heart of man. So this is the manna. This is the bread that God is dropping to them to sustain them along their journey. He's feeding them for free. It's probably like a basket of rolls from O'Charlie's just there. And, and at first, it was such a blessing. Thank you, Lord, for this. You are providing. And in time, the, the blessings of God became mundane, monotonous, and even discarded as now we don't even want it. And you may say that that's not you. Well, let's talk about us for a minute. I remember a few years ago, well, more than a few years ago at this point, my wife and I were having a, a lot of difficulty conceiving our first child, and, and, and that's a tough journey if you've ever been through it or are going through it. And there's a lot of issues with faith and trusting God, and, 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 and then we were just begging God, just give us a child, man. We just want to have a kid, man. Lord, like, we'll raise it right. Just give us a child. And, 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 and then all of a sudden, we got pregnant. By we, I mean her. And And... And then like six months later, my prayer shifted. And it was like, Lord, this baby never sleeps. It goes through five diapers a day. I can't just go to bed whenever I want to like I used to. Like I think about before we had kids, we just were tired and went to bed when we wanted to. And however I want to spend my evening, I just spend my evening before kids. But here I am complaining to God about the thing that I was begging God for. Ladies, there was a season of your life, those of you who are married, in which you were begging that God would bring you a husband. Lord, I just need a man. Lord, just give me a man to protect me. Give me a big, strong one, preferably over five foot ten. God, just give me a man. And then he gave you a husband, and then your prayer shifted to, why does he snore, God? Why is he so obstinate? Why is he a Cowboys fan? You know, all of those things. What you, once, what you once begged for, God gave you, and the blessings turned to worthless bread. 
in 2002, 2003, somewhere around there, I, I went to, to China and I taught American culture at a high school to juniors in high school in China. And, and the real reason that I went there was is that we were smuggling Bibles in across the border. And I would go there and develop a relationship with about 10 or 15 high schoolers. And then after we have had a friendship and a mentorship, I would give them a Bible. This is at the time a very communist government still is, but it was really, really shut down for the gospel. This was when the internet was in its infancy, really, where we only had AOL, uh, which is interesting because Steve Hines still uses an AOL email address. You've got mail. Uh, which you should mock him and judge him for. Uh, but we go there, and I remember there was one young man named Alex. And by the way, the reason that you give a Bible, at least in a collectivist culture, only within the context of a relationship is because if it's something that is that precious to you, it sh according to their culture, it shouldn't just be thrown in people's faces. It should only be shared within a context of relationship, which is interesting. And, and so after about a month, I gave him a Bible, and he, op he took it, and he opened it almost immediately, and he starts reading it out loud. And I'm like, Alex, his name wasn't Alex, but he told me to call him Alex out of a favor to me. And, and, and he, and I was like, you, you get to keep it, like I'm giving it to you. And he goes, oh, I know, but it's probably going to be taken away from me pretty soon, so I'm trying to read and memorize as much of it as I possibly can before it gets taken away. And you and I have access to the living Word of God. And it has become worthless bread in some of our homes. What well, was meant to sustain us, we get used to over time. The good news becomes monotonous, becomes old news. I, I, I want to show you where we know that this bread was manna and what its purpose was. So we're going to bump to Deuteronomy. It's the book of the Bible that you never read. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 1. This is where it shows us what the bread is for. Listen to this. Be careful to follow every command I am giving you today so that you may live and increase and may enter and possess the land your, the Lord promised an oath to your ancestors. Remember how the Lord your God led you in all the way of the wilderness these 40 years. Why? To humble and test you in order to know what is in your heart, whether or not you should keep his commands. He humbled you, causing you to hunger, and then feeding you with manna. He wanted you to be hungry with nothing so that he could show you that he would provide, that he would meet your every need which neither you nor your ancestors had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone. Sound familiar? But on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. This manna was designed to show them that they needed to rely on God for everything. Yet if I can be honest, I live my life in which I do everything I can so that God doesn't have to show up. Everything. I have a savings account just in case God doesn't give me enough to pay the bills this month. Now, I want you to have a savings account, but I want you to understand the fool's gold because money means nothing when your heart stops beating. Nothing, not, money means nothing when you get a phone call that there's a diagnosis or something happened to your loved one. Money is not, does not help you rely on God. It makes you independent. 
And this whole thing is designed so that we can rely on God. So, let's go back to where we started. Numbers 21, verse 6. So the Lord sent poisonous snakes among the people, and many were bitten and died. Is there anybody in here that's like comfortable enough to admit that they're scared to death of snakes? Like, I am scared to death. You are? Come here, Caden. No, no, you can just come up to the front right here. Scared to death of snakes? Dude, I have a live one right here! No, no. No. It's called show business. Have a seat. I shouldn't have picked on somebody that can beat me up. That's my fault. It's my fault. He's holding his stomach over there. Oh, it's a snake handling church, just so you know. Let the rumors spread. <laughs> okay, verse 7. Then the people came to Moses and cried out, We have sinned by speaking against the Lord and against you. Pray that the Lord will take away the snakes. I want you to underline that phrase. We're going to come back to it. Pray that the Lord will take away the snakes. So Moses prayed for the people. Then the Lord told him, make a replica of the poisonous snake and attach it to a pole. All who are bitten will live if they simply look at it. So Moses made a snake out of bronze and attached it to a pole. Then anyone who was bitten by the snake could look at the bronze snake and be healed. I, I, I want to go back to what we talked about just a minute ago. They were praying that God would take the snakes away. It's a very limited prayer. Take us out of this situation, and God didn't, he didn't take the snakes away. What did he say? He said, oh, I'm going to do better than that. I'm going to pray for a way for you to be healed. Listen to this. I'm talking to some of you right now. If we just prayed for the snakes to be taken away, and God took away the snakes, what would happen is you would get, to get used to your life without snakes, without difficulty. And in time, because it's the human tendency, we would forget the blessings of God. Some of you have forgetting, for forgotten the prayers that God answered of yours a long time ago. You forgot all about them. You forgot about how God was there for you during that difficult season where you had nobody but him, and then you just got used to it in time. So they said, take the snakes away from us, and he did not. Not because the snakes are there, but I'm going to do something even better. I'm going to provide a pathway to healing. Some of you are praying, God, take this diagnosis away from me. God, help me to not feel this way anymore. God, heal me of this. And, and, and God's saying, I, I, I'm choosing not to. But I'm going to do something even better than just taking that away. I'm going to provide you eternity where you will never have to deal with it again. Oh, we just want the snakes taken away and God can do something better than you can even imagine. Now, if you've been here for a while, some of you are brand new. And you're about to learn a lesson. Some of you have been here for a couple of weeks, and you're starting to catch a trend. Some of you have been here for a long time. Some of you have been here for a really, really, really long time. I didn't mention any names. And here's what you're about to learn. Is I got some great sermon props, baby. And I have a doozy for you today. Check this out. I brought my own brazen serpent. Now, this, it's not real, Cadence, so calm down. 
Uh, this right here is a very cheap knockoff replica of what it would have looked like. It made a bronze pole with a bronze snake attached to it. Now, culturally, bronze is important because bronze indicated judgment. Uh, there was an altar right on the outside of the tabernacle that was a bronze altar. That's where animals were sacrificed and killed. They would have known that this meant judgment. Uh, so if any of you have ever been in a competition and you got third place and you're proud of that, according to the Bible, you shouldn't be. Some of you got a participation trophy. You should definitely not be proud of that. Now, what I want you to look at, though, is, is even here with this brazen serpent, it, it shows salvation. A lot of preachers give you the salvation message, but they always do it at the end, right? When the piano's playing and you're emotional, this is right in the middle. What is salvation? The first thing is the people cried out and said, we have sinned. We have done wrong. That's called repentance. Super unpopular in the church to talk about that the first step of salvation is to admit that you're a sinner, that you are imperfect, that you messed up, that you deserve hell. You do. And so do I. So they repent. We've done wrong. We've sinned against you. Then they recognized faith, which is if I look at this, I will be healed. So it goes, if I cry out to God and admit I have sinned, what Jesus did on the cross will bring me healing. His blood will be sufficient. That's salvation. Now, we're going to see this in a few minutes of where this shows up in the New Testament. But I wanted you to have the visual of this. Now, we're going to come back to this in just a moment. I want to show you a very random part of Scripture in which this bronze pole with the bronze serpent shows up. And it really doesn't have much to do with a story, but it shows up another time in Scripture, and I think it shows the human tendency of man. I want you to see this. We're going to be in 2 Kings, just real quickly, 18 verses 1 through 4. It's basically talking about King Hezekiah and Elah, and it's talking about what they did when they took over as king. And it's something that you kind of skip over and don't pay much attention to unless you connect it to this story from Numbers. In the third year of Hosea, Elah, king of Israel, Hezekiah, son of Ahaz, king of Judah, began to reign. He was 25 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem for 29 years. His mother's name, his mother's name was Abiha, daughter of Zechariah. And he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, just as his father David had done. Now, here's the part that we, we set all of that up for this. He removed the high places, smashed the sacred stones, and cut down the Asherah poles. He broke into pieces the bronze snake that Moses had made. Why would he do that? It tells us. For up to that time, the Israelites had been burning incense to it. The tendency of man is to take something that God did and then turn it into an algorithm for you and I for salvation. So what they did. They, they, they took something that God created as a symbol of, of what He was going to do, and they started worshiping that thing. It's the tendency of man. It's, it's, it's now, now, God can do whatever He wants. He's God. But I think so far, and my guess will be that we will never find the Ark of the Covenant. Why? Because man will start to worship it. And it's just an object. If you ever go to the Holy Land, 
You'll see at every place that they say something happened, there's people there and they're worshiping it, they're burning incense to it, they're crying out to this physical thing and it's just a physical thing. It means nothing unless the Spirit is there. And so we see that they are worshiping this. Now, why, why would man do that? Here's why, I think. It's because deep down we actually like religion. But you're like, no, I don't. I hate religion. Well, I think deep down the law, a set of rules and standards to live by, is actually a pretty comfortable place to be. You want to know why? Because you know up front exactly what it's going to cost you. And so, like, I wish sometimes in the Bible, maybe you do too, that he just said, hey, this is what your attendance is to have God love you. If you just show up this percentage of church, God's going to be pleased with you. Like, here it is. Because you're like, bro, I already it's 85%. I've already been there for 86%. We could take the rest of the month off. Like, there's some comfort in that. Or, hey, what's the, the minimum amount that I have to give financially to the church for God to be pleased with me? Just tell me what that is so I can do that, because that's comfortable, Right? Or, or, or how many hours do I have to volunteer? Because that's what we want. It's comfortable. But the bad part is, is Jesus says, I want everything. And I want all of it. And, and, and that part's uncomfortable. Because what if he asks you to do? What if he asks you to move? What if? The law can be very comfortable. So I want to show you, and we're almost done, I want to show you what Jesus did. He's talking to this rich Pharisee named Nicodemus. And listen to what he says to Nicodemus, because Nicodemus is a Pharisee, man. So he wants religion. He wants to know these are the set of standards. These are the things you've got to do. And Jesus is trying to tell him, hey, 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 I'm here to change the game. And, and listen to Jesus' response, John 3, 14 through 15. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. He's speaking prophetically. He's telling him, just as the brazen serpent had to be lifted up to bring people who were going to die back to life, I have to be lifted up so that all may have eternal life. He's speaking prophetically of his own death on the cross. This is weird because why then do we continue to look for things that are going to heal us from the wounds that we have that are anything other than Jesus? I'll show you. Be ready. High dollar sermon prop paid for by your tithes and offerings. Here's what some of us think is going to bring us healing. We're going to step on some of your toes a little bit, but you can't leave now. This trends masculine, though not all the way. Some of you have never given to a church before because you think it's your money. And some of you grew up very poor. And so you have fallen for the fool's gold that says, if I can just earn enough money, it's going to heal the wounds from my childhood. And it won't. Some of you
were abused, discarded, or mistreated at a young age. And I'm sorry for that. But you think if I can just make enough money, have just enough followers, have just enough people that have to say yes sir or yes ma'am to me, that if I can just get those things, it's going to prove everyone wrong that never valued me when I was young. And you may be able to get those things, but it will not heal you. And at the end of it all, you will see that it has become worthless bread. Next one. This one trends feminine, though not always. Some of you think that getting a significant other in your life is going to bring you healing. If I can just find a man who is going to treat me right, it'll validate all of the things that I hate about myself. It will heal those wounds from when I was hurt, abused, and abandoned as a kid. If I can just find a man in my life, and, and what happens is, is that you bounce from terrible relationship to terrible relationship. Because I'm going to let you in on a newsflash, honey. Men are pigs. Even the best husband in the world in this room, and I'm sure there's good ones, is not going to heal you because they are a flawed, imperfect human being. You are not made complete by another man or woman. You are made complete in Christ Jesus alone. The last one. And then some of you can finally breathe again. I went to the bookstore the other day, took my kids in there, after they conned me out of buying them a $9 snow cone and a baseball helmet. Like, it's ice cubes chopped up. Nine bucks? I told her to come back with a San Francisco Giants helmet, because that's God's baseball team. And they came back with the Red Sox one. So like you went from heaven to hell real quick. Anyways, that wasn't in my notes. At the bookstore, I saw this area called self-help. Self-help! First of all, why are you so audacious to think that you can help yourself? It's yourself that got you messed up to begin with. And you think the secret to unlock it is yourself? That section needs to be under fiction. Self-help. But some of you act that way. You think the secret to your healing relies in your own power and your own strength. If I can just do this, and here's what's bad about that, is that then what happens is inevitably when you fail, and you will, you then take all the guilt and shame and put it upon yourself when Jesus already paid that price. Because you're going to let yourself down because you are imperfect. I shared this in the first service. I had zero intention of sharing this today. Somebody here needs to hear this. Because you're putting all the pressure to live this perfect life on yourself. 
because you think if you could just be good enough, then God would be proud of you. But you have that all wrong. I want you to imagine for a moment if someone came to me, I've got two daughters, and, they, and you said, hey, which one of the two of them do you want to get to heaven? Which one? I want both. I want all. Yeah, but do you want the one that does its chores the best, gets the highest grades? No. God wants everyone to come to Him with a repentant heart. Why? They're made in His image. That alone makes you different. At some point, you're going to stop wondering if God is proud of you because of what you do. And you're going to rest in the knowledge of knowing He is proud of you for who you are. Why do I love my daughters? They don't add much to my life. They're parasites, really. They live off the host. I love them because they are mine. And I would die for them. And it's the same way God looks at you. And when you rest in that, it's going to free you. Oh, you don't act a certain way so that God will love you. God loves you so you act a certain way called obedience. Some of you run around in this hamster wheel trying to be busy enough for God to love you and be proud of you. And it will not bring you healing. I want to end with this. Jesus says this later on in the beloved disciples gospel, John 12, 32. He says, and I, when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. Jesus will only bring you healing. And even if you're sitting in here and you're like, preacher, I'm I'm not wounded anymore. I've been healed. Great. Who have you told about it? And are you living in a way that the world and your neighbors and your kids and your family, do they think that you rely on God every day? Because if not, what you are portraying to them is, is that I can do it on my own. For those of you who have been to a, through a difficult season, you probably look back and say, that's the closest to God I have ever felt. Why? Because you were broken and you needed a Savior. And I don't necessarily want to be born in another country. Like, I'm thankful that I was born in the United States. It's the biggest blessing. But when I go on a missions trip sometimes, especially to like a third world country, I feel like they have such a healthier, dependent relationship on God than I'll ever have because they have nothing. And their hope has to be in Him alone. And I'm a little envious. I want you to see this final painting. It's an Italian painting. Lucas, if we can throw this up here. Showing the bronze serpent and this story in the Bible. There's a random guy who's blue for no reason. But this artist merged the two stories together. And where did he put the bronze serpent? On the cross. If your hope is in man, it's a fool's hope. If your hope is in money, you will find out at the end of whatever that magic amount is that you need to save, that it does nothing. 
If your hope is in another human being, a spouse, a boyfriend, a girlfriend, a preacher, you will be let down. And if you are only hoping and banking on yourself that you're strong enough to be good enough, you're going to live a life of guilt, shame, and worthlessness. But if our hope is in Jesus, oh, everything is possible. If our hope is in Jesus, then no person is so lost and so broke that Jesus isn't waiting right there when they call out to him. And no matter how much you've messed up your life, you can be redeemed and used by God.